Welcome back, everyone, to a, another episode of The Few, just with uh, plain old Boo. What better way to get The Few with Boo podcast kicked off than to speak to a wonderful human being who has made an entire career out of connecting people with amazing stories to those who need to hear them. So with no further ado, would love to welcome now. Welcome to The Few Podcast. Never in the field of human conflict was so much owed by so many to so few. So you want to become one of the few. You can't skip steps. You have to put one foot in front of the other. Things take time. I have a dream. I have a dream. Hear inspiring stories from the few and learn what it takes to turn your dream into reality. Don't be afraid to dream big. But remember, dreams without gold are just dreams. This is The Few with Boo. Leanne Christie, she is chief of everything O, and you'll learn more about what the big O is as we go on. Leanne, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. How are you, Boo? We've only just talked, actually, about an hour ago on another call. I know, and I'll tell you, it's just the beauty of the world today. I was just thinking, I had a conversation with a CEO of a company this morning, and I was in the car because I had to drop it off for a service. The service was late, traffic was bad. And I was thinking, you used to panic about things like this in the old days, but now you just bang on the Zoom, have a chat, hit record. It's just so natural to be in contact all the time. You're at the epicenter of this, right? In an industry where people were connecting face to face, and then boom, almost overnight, the entire industry was disrupted. And Maybe not a bad place to start because everyone's still talking today about disruption, still talking about the economy in disarray, the world accelerating. Why don't we start with that? Why don't you share, Leanne, your relationship and your stories with disruption? So we could say the word disruption or we could just say the word AI. <laughs> that, that seems to be the thing, right? Yeah, there's always something, isn't it? I mean, we were saying the word pandemic and then we were talking about pivoting and then we were talking about the metaverse and now it's AI. There's always new things emerging, aren't there? And that's the big one at the moment, of course, that we're all grappling with, getting our heads around. You and I have had other talks with specialists on these things so we know how to work with it ourselves. But definitely... Coming out of the pandemic for the events industry, I can say now clearly that the events industry is in its new phase, its post-pandemic phase. We're a little bit in some areas last year, but we are in our post-pandemic phase. And what's that given us is the gift of choice of how we communicate with people more, even as an event we can have more people coming globally or we could have global speakers cheaper. So still we are having some virtual in events, but mostly, as everybody predicted, the human connection has won over and most events, of course, are all in person and that's where we want to go back. There's not a lot of people saying, I just want to go home and watch people on Zoom. Yeah, I think there's an innate need for humans to be together in the same room. And, and it's probably something that's really driving this disconnect and the quiet resignation and people feeling as though they just derive no value at work. And I think when you're not connected and you're not seeing someone smile or appreciating your efforts in person, 
it's kind of different when you see someone smile at you compared to sending you a smiley emoji, right? It's very, very, very different. So tell us a little bit about speaking and speakers. We're here, we're on this podcast and this podcast shares information. Hopefully people are wiser <laughs> at the end of it, but equally we're in a tsunami of information. There's never been more information created in human history. Almost 90 to 98% of all information has been created in the last two or three years, if the research I read is, uh, is correct. But we were talking a little bit about big data and the tsunami of information, and we consume more information on a day-to-day basis now than we ever have before. You represent knowledge and wisdom, which is very different to information. And when you look at how stories achieve cut through, and I know you tell me certain tips and tricks in terms of how to present to market, but in your mind, what do you perceive is the difference between professional speaker and someone that just speaks? Let's call it intention. Let's start with that. It's a lot about intention. And that's quite a big word for me in business as well, by the way, because a professional speaker has a clear intention of changing somebody's mindset or heart set, some people call it, their actions or a combination of all those things. And we know what you call that, Boo. What is it? Feel, think, do, loop. That's right. That's it. Absolutely. Connecting action to intentions. And let's put it this way. If you were in the movie business, you would be like an agent almost into a producer because they're quite hands-on and therefore you have lots of people come up to you that are probably very intention-fueled but not connected to action. So there's these two sides, isn't it? Sometimes people are very action-orientated but they're not kind of sure where they're going with it. And then on the flip side, you've got people who are very deep and intention-fueled but like a journal or an academic paper can't really connect. So there must be a sweet spot there, right, between the two. And a bit like in anything in the world, there's no kind of overnight success is there in speaking. I guess the point I'm trying to make here is to you, what is the difference between wisdom and knowledge and just information, just words? Okay. I find it has a lot to do with your own experience as well. So speakers that are not as effective could be those who they were around more a long time ago, but people who read a lot of books and regurgitated a lot of information, but had not had the experience themselves. I'll give you a a real working example of that right now for me, Boo. I'm actually on the lookout at the moment for working CEOs that head up large corporations during the pandemic. Why? I'm sort of doing it backwards here. but They're they're all probably exhausted. (laughs) (laughs) Well, by now some of them are starting to leave because they've got everything better down and okay. And those that were going to leave over the last three or four years stayed on longer because of where the world was at. And so some of them now can be looking at retirement. But on the other side of things, in the speaking world, This is going to sound strange, but with my explanation might make sense. We actually have a lack of leadership speakers. Now, that might seem strange to some people, right? They're going, what? There are so many leadership speakers. No, I'm talking about those people that actually led big corporations in the time of the pandemic and coming through. You see, a lot of the things that were relevant pre-2020 are no longer relevant. 
a lot of the things that we went through in 2020 and then 2021, 2022 with all the post-pandemic things, a lot of leadership speakers don't have that experience. And when we're talking to clients, of course, you know, at Ode, we want to be putting forward the best speakers that are looking at what's happening now. And in order to really meet our audience's needs, I need to look for CEOs that have actually led in the last couple of years, more important than ever. It's interesting. I certainly remember when I started speaking before turning it into a business a few years ago, as a leader and a founder and a CEO of businesses, I found it very difficult because one of the things about leading and doing, which has led me on my journey for the Feel, Think, Do loop is to actually sit back and think about it and think about what you did is quite hard. And to turn it into a story that's not boring is also kind of hard. I think my brain exploded actually making a transition from being a business leader and owner into talking about it because it's, I think Einstein says it really well. You know, if you can't explain something complex simply, you just don't understand it well enough yourself. And I think a CEO is very great in terms of a conversation, but to turn it into something that's engaging and to really nail down your, I mean, it was three years of hell, let's be honest. And three years of such complete depletion of all your resources that probably takes a few years to sit back and reflect on it and say, you know what, what were my top three things that I'd recommend anyone else to do? And you make a really interesting point around the lived experience and the learned experience, you know, that academic learned experience where people read broadly, but the world has become so fast and information so prevalent. It's quite easy to just get hold of all that information now. So how important is the storytelling aspect? And I'm asking you this for another reason, right? I believe storytelling is becoming more important. The more information, the more data we see, the more important the stories are, like in terms of inspiring people, getting them connected. So when it comes to speaking and conveying a story, how important is that storytelling element to be a really great speaker? It's really what makes you relevant. So back to my example, and it's not just any CEO, of course, like you, they've got to be able to speak, present, think. It's those stories that we want, but the ones that are relevant now, right? There's no good telling stories of what happened pre-pandemic with a lot of them, okay? This is how we handle culture. Well, it's changed a lot, hasn't it, right? Because we're now working in a hybrid culture. Even salespeople having to learn how to sell in a hybrid environment. Most of the topics for speaking have been disrupted because everything has. I tell you, you know when you said before about controlling the controllables? I'm looking at something at the moment where I think it's controlling the controllables, yes, but it's also looking for what we can control in there. So, for example, and looking ahead at how things are going to be changing. So I think you're going to be having Michael McQueen on soon. And yeah, he talks about waves and tides in the future. So he'll probably pick up on some of this because I've been speaking about this with him recently. Another example of how the quiet resignation, people go, oh, that one's finished, hasn't it? Well, what's the effect of that? The effect of that is it's mostly boomers that did actually retire, like not necessarily resign and went somewhere else, but part of it was through retirement. And so now whether it's you boo with an audience or a CEO with a team of employees and people, we've now for the first time coming into five generations in a workplace, right? 
Yep. It's very, very different. Talk about complex. It's like the average family function at Christmas and trying to get the 12-year-olds to talk with 80-year-olds is like, ah, oh, get off your devices. Oh, what are you talking about, Grandpa? Yeah. It's- yeah, but we've never had five generations in a workplace before like we're going to be having. I've just seen some new information too with people in event planning and for speakers that the average audience age has lowered significantly significantly post-pandemic well how would that change how you present what you present the angle that you come from you've got more and more of those the generation that's used to TikTok speed that we have to allow for I definitely noticed that as a speaker in terms of the space to build up a story and deliver a punchline or reach the impact it's compressed a lot more and even to the point now where It used to be an hour keynote and now it's 30 to 45 minutes. And when you do get an hour keynote, you're like, gosh, this is a lot of time. I've got a 90 minute keynote tomorrow. And it's like, that is a long time. That is a long time to hold someone's attention. You literally have to figure out how to get the monkey and the organ grinder out in between to make sure people get up and they're engaged. We definitely noticed that. Another place we noticed that is in Afterburner where we have a set piece exercise. And five years ago, it's problem solving. Five years ago, people could solve it. Now they find it very hard. Just the cognitive ability to solve a problem collectively, it's really fascinating. And to the point we've had to, I won't say dumb it down because that would be insulting to the people that do it, but simplify and streamline it a bit. We've had to pull out some of the ambiguity. And it's not because people aren't problem solving in terms of understanding what's going on. It's a real lack of decision making. No one wants to make a decision, even though it's a zero impact decision. It does No one cares. It's a game. But people's abilities to make decisions, to me, seems to be eroding a little bit. Look at your industry, right? Look at people making a decision on a speaker. Look at how last minute it is. Look at how loosey-goosey some of the briefs are. There is so much information now. I feel people are just struggling for context. They're just struggling to just, like, what does it mean? What am I, you know, and I'll say to people on a brief, I'll say, if someone waved a magic wand and I got off stage, what would happen? Which is just saying, what do you want me to achieve? Like, oh, that's a good question. It's like, it's not a good question. It's the question. That's the most important thing. If you're not sure what you want to happen when I get off, why would you choose me? So again, you know, in terms of pipeline, because there's a lot of things that happen in speaker world that are very applicable everywhere else, I think. Are you seeing pipeline shorten? Are you seeing more complexity? Are you seeing your bureau reps and the sales side? Are you seeing more churn? Like, what are you actually seeing in the business now that we're all hyper-connected and high-speed? Okay, a few things. Definitely we're getting some sooner bookings, okay? And that's been great in a recovering economy. The events industry, hospitality industry, there's a few of us that are very much in a recovering economy. So I wouldn't call that one a problem, just by the way. It's been a good thing. How much does that go in with what you were talking about with the decision-making? You know, people putting off decisions. Now, there's no health risk at the moment so what else is it that's going on that's getting us to be putting off these decisions so much what else do you think is going on with that boo because it's not just the events industry right you're seeing it across many industries i mean there's volatility you know our favorite saying coming out of the military and business is this whole VUCA thing, volatile, uncertain, complex. And so VUCA is very much a thing. And the problem with the environments that are VUCA in nature 
is people don't make decisions because of the volatility, because you basically don't know what's going to happen. Even if you make a good decision, you think of all the hurt that I've been working with a big airline the last few months, right? And I was talking to some of the people that work there and they were saying, you know, we're talking about growth and how exciting the future is. And they were saying, hang on a minute. I still have PTSD from two years ago. I'm still trying to figure out what just happened back there. My whole life was turned upside down. I did everything right. I worked hard. I invested in myself. I did everything everyone tells me to do. And I was screwed over. My whole life was pulled out from underneath. So I think in terms of making decisions at the moment, there's, there's a lot of fear around decisions. And it's almost like people respect a last minute decision more than a considered decision because a last minute decision being bad, most people because of COVID will say, oh, that's okay. Because that's what we did in COVID. We had to make last minute, oh, borders are open, borders are shut. Oh, you can go here, you can't go there. This event's here. We were so used to everything being quick and last minute. And there were a lot of bad decisions in COVID and they were acceptable. So I don't know. I just think there's this whole, it's like the rubber band broke. We became very reactive and we're having trouble trying to build it back out again. And there's a school of thought, which is, well, if we're too strategic, what if something like COVID happens? What's, what a waste of time building that big strategy that just got absolutely slapped, which is why I think it's more about controlling what you can control and not worrying about that stuff. You've got to keep making decisions. And if, if it turns out to be a bad one, don't worry. Just that's what resilience is, right? Just keep going. You, you would have seen that. Speakers, some very successful, hugely researched, well-studied, wonderful backgrounds, people who were having and earning a very comfortable living, it all evaporated, right? It surely did, and very quickly. And it's certainly very quickly. There's a group of speakers that I was coaching, and I remember April 2020, I think I'll always remember that Zoom call because we had been working in person and then we're online. And I remember in the April call, I just had to stop and realise and just to say to everybody, we're actually not even breathing. I know that sounds ridiculous, but I could tell people were like, we weren't even breathing. It was so scary. And we didn't know what was going to happen. And a lot of people were looking at me for what's going to happen and what are the answers. Now, being in the speaking industry for 38 years or something, you know, I've seen a recession we had to have. I've had interest rates at over 20%, you know, seen 9-11. It's so many different things. But this just felt so different. And it was. It is. That's how it was. But I just want to say on the last minute decision thing too, some of that is because of the pace of change right now. So as an example in my industry, even for speakers, economists, journalists, futurists, for example, they could pretty well lock and load a presentation and get it to the client a couple of days out. You know, all clients want all your slides a couple of days out. Any of them worth their salt are just saying no right now. They're just saying, no, I can't do that. We don't know what's going to happen, especially with the pace of AI and stories, things that are different stories that are in or out or happening or not with cybersecurity, depending on what they're speaking about. Speakers are just saying, no, I can't give it to you now because the next two days, heaven knows what's going to happen. And I've got speakers that are literally hours beforehand redoing some things because of what's happened in the world didn't used to be the case. I think what's also changed, and I certainly notice it, is before digitization, there was a lot less required of you, of everyone, before you made a decision. 
as a speaker now, there's an expectation that you'll shoot a video to say hello and, and that you might shoot a promo video to try and sell some more tickets. In terms of making a decision inside a business as well, there'll just be another quick Zoom call, another just 30 minutes before we make this decision. And in that moment, someone will change their mind. It'll be different. Whereas back in the day, you'd just be left to get on with it. And there was, we weren't hyper-connected and hyper-communicative. And I think that's the problem, right? With big data and the amount of information that we now share, it's overshare. And as a fighter pilot, you learn very quickly that it's not the quantity of information, it's, it's the quality. And you have this saying, which is speak by exception. So unless what you say is going to absolutely deliver an enormous amount of value, don't talk. And that is something that I think the world doesn't do. I think we have everyone talking all the time, quantity over... And marketing, it's a, we're just about to embark on a digital marketing campaign, 120 content pieces a week, you know, and that's just average now. It's just crazy, crazy. And, and, and why I'm fascinated to have this conversation with you is you are in the industry of knowledge. You've seen information, you have seen garbage, you know what I mean? Like you've seen stuff that if you were sitting, having a coffee with someone, you'd say, and you had four hours, you'd say that was an interesting four hour conversation, but I've got 30 make it interesting. And that's hard, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And look, even with all the content at the moment, what are we learning? Like before, we had to learn how to write better. We had to learn how to get our content down. And now we're learning how to put the right commands and the right questions into ChatGPT, right, to be able to create the content properly. One of the futurists that we work with has just done a great article on you know my new friend the liar which is about chat gpt right because if it doesn't know it's it's amazing the amount of stuff it makes up and i didn't know that right we're just learning so much all the time and some of us think oh we can get a lot of new content out now we'll just get chat gpt to write it for us and we're still learning now I was researching before this uh, interview around information consumption and i found a journal and i and i was asking chat gpt and it was giving me statistics and then I said, look, according to this journal, this is the data. And then ChatGPT apologized and said, look, oh, I'm sorry. It looks like your data is more accurate than my data. You need to understand that my database only goes back to September 29, 2021. So you're right. You can catch ChatGPT out on a porky, which is important. It's very important to know that if you're using it to create content right? How to write articles or to help to write books or to help put presentations together. You've still got to, yeah, check it all out. It's not yet foolproof. Okay. I'll ask you a question, right? Just say you and I were having this conversation 20 years ago. There was no such thing as a podcast. There was no such thing as uh, social media or it was just starting, maybe Facebook. What was doing a deal like 20? And I'll say that because Afterburner here, you, which you represented for us was nearly 19 years ago started here. So what was different about making a sale then compared to now? 2003, yeah, certainly didn't have the social media. So that took, oh, there was a lot less pressure to create content because the hungry beast, we hadn't invented the hungry beast. And it's very interesting. Once we created that beast, then we have to feed the damn thing. So that's definitely something very, very different. I know that going back even further, when, when I first started, my database was three by five cards because <laughs> there was no computer typing up agreements and yellow pages and a telephone. For me, you know, some people say, oh, 
the internet must have been such a huge change. This will sound silly. I'm not saying it's not. In the world, it's a much bigger change, right? But in business, the fax machine made the biggest difference to me Mm. because (laughs) I had to wait a week for a proposal to arrive and then call somebody, right? But you think about it, the fax machine, the proposal goes straight through the same as an email. It really was. It was the big difference. It took a week off every – it was phenomenal. It was a phenomenal difference. I remember too, you know, standing around the one computer, seeing if any emails had come in. <laughs> I remember you used to ring up after you sent an email saying, oh, Leanne, I just sent you an email. Oh, okay. Let me check my email, you know, back before it was uh, ubiquitous. I mean, I think it must have been easier though. You know what I mean? Like it must have been easier in terms of an easier pace of life, the ability to more trust because people had to trust you because they couldn't check. They couldn't cross-reference and equally less people probably were less full of shit in terms of now because quantity is such a game there's a lot of stuff that goes out from very high profile influential people that is really open to investigation and fact checking which i think maybe 20 years ago wasn't quite as there's always bullshitters don't get me wrong but i don't know i just felt like life was a there's more time to do things other than work. Or maybe it's because I wasn't a business person back then. Maybe because you weren't a big business person. I was still doing my six and seven days a week. But things were slower because they had to be, for sure. There wasn't nearly enough information to be able to go and check on things yourself. So the trust was much higher. You had to have a higher level of trust with your clients. And therefore, there was a bit more loyalty, I think because they would find someone they could trust and then would stick with you, whereas that's not so much the case anymore. It's pretty easy to jump ship and try it yourself or try another angle because you can. So that is different. And now you've got to try and stay one step ahead of everybody else. Yeah, I mean, I love it. I can just sit and chew through data all day. I think it's fantastic. But one of the things that I find fascinating is I was reading an article got a few months ago now around speakers and the industry. And there was a statistic there that says now if you search speaker in LinkedIn, you'll get 2.1 million hits of people who are speakers, which is a saturated market in anyone's language. So when you see that and you go, I'm looking for a speaker, you look for a speaker on performance or a futurist, and there's 50, 100 of all of them. What makes the difference? What is it that is the X factor? You know, for people that thinking about becoming a speaker. Hi, it's Boo here. If you're enjoying these episodes of The Few, please show your support by leaving a review. It costs you nothing, and the more reviews we have, the better guests we can reach out and bring onto the show to help you close the gap between what you want and where you are today even faster and help you on your journey to become one of the few too. And what is it about some speakers who might get a TEDx or might have a great piece of content and make an impact, but just can't scale it into a commercial speaking, can't make it a lifestyle or can't make it their life? What, what's going on? What is the missing link? Yeah. Okay. So there's lots of different things there. Let me, let me just start from the global point of view. There are some speakers who don't want to be seen as based in the US, based in the UK, based somewhere in Asia. And so they have some sort of a new dot internet where you're not quite sure which country it's from. And I'm looking to see where they're based for my clients. And on purpose, they've made themselves because I can go anywhere. But my client may not want someone 
they might not want to have to pay internationally affairs. That's the first time I've come across that more recently with some people, you know. A global citizen, sovereign citizen. <laughs> very much so. And that's not actually easy when you're a buyer, right? I think they think it's great, but it's not for the buyer because we don't know where they are and, yeah. So the next one is that if buyers don't know the difference between public platform speaker and what we would call a professional corporate business speaker, they're in those numbers that you said are all the public platform speakers. And there are many, many more, I don't know, millions of them around the world than there ever used to be, okay? And you know enough to know, not everybody does, but that's a very different kettle of fish than a professional speaker. So a public platform speaker is somebody who would hire their own venue and sell tickets for people to come and hear them speak or do something for free to then sell something from the back of the room. That is very, very different from a full-time professional speaker who speaks on a business topic, who researches what's going on in the business world and then can tailor it to the business world. So they're two big things that straight away some buyers may not see. Before you even start going into the levels of, well, are they any good or not? Okay. And I look at things, of course, you can look at their demo, but those of us who are buying for large corporations go past a demo and look for longer pieces so we can see their whole or big chunks of their speech. We look also to who the testimonials are from. So even though, let's say the Rotary Club is an obvious example of something that they wouldn't have got paid for, there are now, and that would have been easy to tell, but there are now many, many, many more types of audiences, people you get testimonials from, where you've got to have a much better nose to know, were they paid for that? Was that a professional speaking event that they did for a corporate or is it a testimonial from somebody they spoke for on a public seminar and maybe even for free to sell something at the back of the room? It's a different world. You've got to be able to tell the difference, don't you? Yeah, it's interesting, particularly in the testimonial space because, again, part of the information is everywhere is in the corporate space, comms are very tightly held to even film someone on the day is a big deal. It's like, well, back of the room, back of heads, but you cannot film anyone in the front. I mean, it's a totally different landscape. And I guess that's a function of just, which is interesting, given the amount of selfies and everyone will take it at an event and capture everyone in the background anyway, right? But I guess it's really, you know, a lot of people want to be something. You know, a lot of people want to be a fighter pilot. A lot of people want to be an entrepreneur. A lot of people want to be a speaker. And for a long time there, it feels like, you can't do any of it. You know, I, before I was a fighter pilot, I was just at school. I, I couldn't imagine how I used to idolize these you know, at the time, guys, now guys and girls, and you would never think you'd get there, but then you get there. As a business owner, I never thought I'd ever own a business. And then you get there, then you think you're a speaker. You're like, I'll never be a professional speaker. I'll never have my own topic. I'll never be able to do something that's interesting for everyone. Then you get there. But my God, is it an investment in time and effort and money? I mean, it is such an effort to get there. And and how often would you see, or how much of that is a factor, do you think, that people who are aspiring speakers, they want to get up on the stage, but they just don't invest in themselves and don't do the extras that you need to get there? Is that something that you would observe as well? 
all the time, all the time through different things. This is something I'm quite passionate about because some of these people, I can see the gifts that they have to bring, but they give up too quick. They give up too early because they didn't get a quick success. Self-doubt comes in, right? And self-confidence. And so I think being able to realize that like in anything else, to be able to work with a coach that will help you to cut off some of that time and to lead you in the right direction, it really makes a huge difference. Like with my coaching, it can go for a year. You know about Boo. I don't just do it quickly. No, absolutely. With that as well, and speaking about giving up, what about you? What do you do? Every day is not a rosy day, right? So if you're having a particularly bad day and maybe going back to the day or during COVID, because I know you're like most of us toying with the idea of letting it all go and not doing it anymore. What was it? Where did you find the reserve or what did you reach for that kept you going? Was it something that you were aware of or was it just something that just unconsciously pushed you along? Yeah, there had to be a conscious decision at one stage, Boo because I was really leveraged with the four different businesses, right? I have owed in the USA, as well as owed speaker management in Asia Pac. And then I've got Ovation Speakers Bureau and the coaching as well. And everything stops. It took me a while to realize, hey, you can make a decision here. And that was almost scary because I wasn't planning on making those sort of decisions. But I think that that's one thing that I did that was good realize that I could make a decision and make a decision. Do you want to keep doing this or not? Because if you wanted to go, now's a good time to go. Nobody's going to question it, right? What kept me there? I'm not finished. I'm very much about... Will you ever be finished or is never being finished part of the blessing and curse of being an entrepreneur? Look, I've got a couple of old friends who giggle about that and feel that I'm never going to be finished. And that surprises me because... I've got some definite goals, you know, with being more global for Ode, for example. We've got six speakers now in Europe that we manage as well. So I'd like a team in Europe as well as the US, one in Asia as well as Australia. But why? You could have walked away, but why? And this is, the, I guess, the crux of the few. What is it about these people that drive them? Why do you need speakers in Europe? Why do you need to be global? What is driving you to do these things? Who's going to pat you on the back when you've done it? Anyone? No? Nobody, Mitch. It's not about that. So what is it? It's not about that. It might sound a bit corny, but I really, and I say this to all the people in our team, it's like I really feel like I love Marshall, I think it was. Marshall Goldsmith tells a story about the honeybees and the money bees. And the honeybees, you know, they go from flower to flower and they get the pollen, oh, they think, right, what they're going for is the nectar. But in fact, you know, that's we need the bees to pollinate the world. And I really see our industry like that. And I feel like those of us that are blessed enough to be able to do something that has a higher and wider good, that we're like little money bees, like we think we might be working on something where, you know, we'll earn some money from booking a speaker. But really, when that speaker's there, it's not they pollinate somebody in the audience who's going to go home and be a better parent. They might go back to work and be a better team leader. They might step up and be a team leader themselves. They'll take things in new directions to be able to, and this is not me, I'm not on the stage at all, okay? So, yeah, we don't get the applause at all. 
But to be able to support and help these people that can change the world, like some of the people I work with, again, nobody's going to pat me on the back for it, but I've been able to open doors for them that they never could have themselves. I know that's true. They know that's true. That's all that matters. But gosh, that is so satisfying. But that comes down to the old relationships drive everything, really, don't they? Is that your 28 years of relationships, the trust that you've built? And really, when we talk about technology and speed and everything else, it kind of all comes back to trust again at the end of the day is the faster you can build trust, the more trusted you are. Spotting the talent first. You're what? You've got to spot the talent first, though. Yeah, yeah. No good building up a lot of trust with somebody, right? Yeah. Where there's no talent. And when I saw Oprah Winfrey open her school for girls, and I thought, oh, you know, how lovely is that? All these poor girls. No, the amount of interviews they did and tests that they did to make sure they got the absolute brightest young girls that went through that leadership academy and then giving them university degrees and expecting them to go on and do big things in the world. She wasn't just there doing something nice, you know. It was something that was intentional for in her way to change the world. And the first thing is you've got to spot the talent. And I think that there's something similar to that in what I do. You've really got to be able to spot the talent. And that's not just a good speaker because they have to understand marketing or be coachable. Yeah, I've seen plenty of people that are very good speakers with empty diaries. That can happen too. Yeah, that's a beast. Marketing is a beast. No one wants to go to your social media and see a post that's two weeks old. You're already out of vogue. You're not busy enough, in demand enough if you're not posting regularly. But what's really fascinating about this, because again, I was thinking about it the other day, I was trying to contemplate yet another social post and and I thought, you know what, it's it's no different to building or being an architect or anything. It's just hard work. It's just hard work creating stuff for social as opposed to hard work creating a building or a drawing or creating a garden if you're a landscape gardener or creating a kitchen if you're a plumber. These innate human elements of success are always the same. You said it, never give up. For me, that got me through to being a fighter pilot because as fun as it was, well, it's never really fun, but as fun as you thought it was, it's bloody hard. So you've got to keep going, even though it's not fun, right? So not giving up. Hard work, just putting in effort. Putting in effort delivers outcomes. And it's that simple. And you can control the amount of effort you put in, whether you put the most amazing piece of content in and six people see it on LinkedIn, and the next day you do barely anything and you get 10,000 views. doesn't matter. You still got to put the same effort in. It's you're out of your control what happens to it once it's done. And I think people could get too emotionally attached to the non-performance of the effort, but the universe kind of works in funny ways. It wants to see a lot of effort with no reward before it gives you a reward. And I think it all works out at the end. If you have a job and you're not particularly sort of orientated with the mindset of the few and you leave a comfortable life, you never really have major downs or never really have major ups. But when you're dependent on yourself for everything or you're a leader, you have both sides. CEO, it doesn't matter. If you're out there on a pedestal, and I mean pedestal not to be worshipped, but naked and open for everyone to pull you down. That is just a different human. You need some certain things to be that human. And that's why I think it's, that's why I started this podcast. And I think you see those humans all the time and you get an instinct for it, right? You can see it. Yes, I really do now. I mean, yes. You're talking about those ups and downs. I think one of the times when I was really tested, you asked me at the beginning about, you know, what happened with COVID because it's true our speakers that I manage 
you know, most of them do at least half a million a year. They might do a million a year, over a million a year. Now, they have a lifestyle that matches that, that suddenly, now what? And I had many of those high achievers, like, looking at me, like, now what do we do? That was very challenging to be able to stay steady on my feet and keep breathing and keep moving and stay positive and pull up from my bootstraps my own confidence when so many people are looking at you with such a big, they had so much at stake. And so much expectation of you. Oh, yeah. You know, the funny thing is having to be that person is what helped me get through. Having to be that person for other people made me have to be it for myself. And so then we go back to, so why would I want to go and do something where you make widgets? Because I just find so much that I learn in this industry. It's like a workshop every day. The learning is incredible. I think that's one of the big challenges with business now when we went to it before is, you know, I remember businesses when you used to have pipeline, you used to be able to plan and you knew what was coming up, whereas now there is no pipeline anymore. I mean, it's great from a negotiation perspective. You always want time pressure on a negotiation, but at the same time, it's also nice to know in six months, there's something in the can, not an empty tin whilst you're waiting for everything to come in at the last minute while interest rates are up, et cetera, et cetera. So in terms of managing people, and I think there's also in business owners, some people seems to be two types. It's all about them or it's all about someone else. You've got the nurturing side or the narcissistic side. There's a great degree of nurturing in what you have to do in terms of, and it sounds like what you're just talking about, that you actually got a kick out of that, like being the one that everyone was depending on to nurture them through this situation, a bit like a nurse, a bit like anyone that's sort of born into service. I don't get any joy really just making money for myself, running my own businesses. I thought I did. That's what I left the Air Force to become a multimillionaire business owner. And I was, and I didn't like it, you know, and I think that's the same for you is born into a sense of service. And a lot of the people that we speak to on this show who aren't billionaires or hundreds of millionaires, they're kind of more content in their role as in service to those who are more inclined to just go and knock the lights out and make all the tough decisions and destroy lives and create lives. Do you feel like that there's a nurturing side of you that needs to be fed just generally, not just in business, but part of what you do just feeds that need for you? Yes, that is part of it. I certainly do help people along. The nurturing side can do that. And sometimes, you know this, Boo, it's just a kick up the bottom as well. And some people really appreciate that because their self-doubt has riddled them so much that they have stopped and they're like a statue and they yeah so that's not helpful to anybody so sometimes it is a kick up the bottom that they need but yeah it often is around a self-doubt or not enough information I also work with people who would never have any self-doubt which is fascinating to work with those sort of people but with those it's like well just tell me what to do and I'll do it and I find it very efficient working with those people okay but to still get where they wanted to go they need the information right because say these CEOs coming out and going into leadership they don't really know much about the industry how to prepare themselves how to pitch themselves how to create the topics, how to, you know, what's the value that I've done? 
they don't know. But they've also lived a life of, around devolved decision making. They're very collaborative in decision making. They have a lot of support around decision making, whereas a speaker, you have none. It's just you. You live by the sword, you die by the sword. And I think also that that's not a good trait to have as a CEO, to be that sort of person. But it is something you kind of need to be a speaker because it's your thought leadership, your practice, your interpretation of thousands of hours of reading and life experience all blended together. And CEOs, to some degree, beyond any other person in the C-suite, are also born into a life. Good CEOs are born into a life of service as well. Yes. But you know what they haven't experienced is small business. And a lot of speakers really are in a small business and they don't realize yeah. it. No, that's very true. Yeah. I've got another question for you in terms of along your journey, did you kick any own goals? Was there any anything that you did that you can blame yourself and say the reason that this shitty thing happened or the reason that there's this back step is because of something that you can trace back to you, not anyone else's fault, but yours. Do you remember anything that you sort of, that you did and how you kind of turned it around or how you came to terms with it? Were you in denial of it? Were you in acceptance of it? Yeah, it's like, where do we want to start? Anybody in business, really, I think. Definitely for me, because I've had to look at some of my own traits. Say I'm, you would know I'm extremely loyal. That's not always a good thing because sometimes you just got to let people go and move on. And it's taken me a long time to learn that one, for sure. You know what they say about loyalty? It's like generosity. When people say you're too generous and you're like, well, if I'm not generous, I'm the one that suffers, not everyone else. Of course, when you're loyal, of course, when you're generous, people are going to take advantage of you. That's right. There are smart people and they know how to do that. But at the same time, if you're not loyal and you are disingenuous in yourself and you are not generous then you're the one that takes the hit to your own self-worth for not having the strength to be that version of yourself. So, so it doesn't matter who you are. You pay the check, you pay the bill somewhere. I'd rather pay the bill for being generous and loyal than paying the bill for being an asshole. Thanks for that, Boo, because I was going to bring up the generosity one next, okay? And I didn't see how entwined they were as you, or perhaps because they're your two. I don't know. But generosity is my other one, but I've got to say, I have made a decision, though, a long time ago that I had to realise that I don't do generosity just for other people. It's the truth. I do it for me because it feels good for me, right? So if that's true for me, then there's no such thing as being too generous, whatever feels right for me, even though people might say to me all the time, oh, my gosh, you're so generous, you're too overgenerous, you give too much. Look at the friendships that I've created all over the world with speakers and with bureaus and with other people. You find other generous people when you're really generous, you know that? That's the whole philosophy where the truth to life is you receive only after you give. Getting something for nothing has no value. And I think if you have generosity and you have loyalty and you have forgiveness, that's all about you. You do it for yourself because you create truth and you create authenticity around you. And that is how you gravitate others who have that authenticity as well. And then life becomes good. I remember the first five years of being in business thinking your whole life is just watching your back and keeping your cards close to your chest. And yeah, this is a multi-million dollar business, Middle East. Yeah, it was hard. And then you took a long time to deprogram that and go back to who I was, which was just, you know what? If someone takes advantage of you, that's one or two days of pain as opposed to a whole lifetime of pain, worry and and being a friggin' miserly Scrooge, you know? Yeah, good on you. You got a nice car. 
it's not hard to get wealthy if you don't spend money, steal it, and you're an asshole. That is not a hard equation. That is not difficult. But to be a good human and create wealth is, you know, it's just a bit harder, but it's worth it. It's worthwhile. And doing the very best by our own standards and our own integrity so that we sleep well at night ourselves. You know, a lot of those people must not very sleep very well at night, I don't think. Anyway. So when you wake up in the morning and you're all ready and you're just about to walk out the door and you look into the mirror, do you look at the person at looking back at you and think that that is a successful person? I know you don't think this every day, but if I ask you to wake up tomorrow and look in the mirror, would you say the person looking back at you is successful? Yes, I would. It's a lot of, for me though, I teach myself, right? You're still standing. This is what COVID taught me. You're still standing. You're still here. You're successful. You get to go another day. My definition of success has changed over the last few years, for sure. So it's an interesting question. Will it go back to what it was? Probably. We'll see. Ask me in a couple of years when I've all recovered from this and going on. My friends would say probably because there's always another, you get to the top of one mountain and guess what? There's another one to climb. You know, that's a lot of who I am. You know, I'm not just going to be satisfied. But if I was, I wouldn't have achieved what I've achieved. And I wouldn't have the four different businesses and I wouldn't have businesses on both sides of the world and have to get up at all hours of the morning. <laughs> yeah, it's a challenge, but at the same time, it's a worthy challenge. There's a lot to be said for worth and not worth in terms of value, but worth in terms of emotional worth as well. You're obviously a mum to a daughter. If that daughter were you, what would you say to her based on your life experience to help make her pathway, the teenage land's pathway, a little less bumpy? What is the one piece of advice? that you would give to yourself. And I still do when I think of this, to keep telling myself, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. You know, the amount of time and effort and energy that I've spent worrying, is this good enough? Am I good enough? Have I done enough? And then you look back and you think, well, that worked out. That worked out in the end. Even though it didn't work out, it worked out. It's amazing how often we hit, get that piece of feedback, like everything's going to be okay or just hang in there. And I think that's a unique piece of advice for people that push themselves out there consistently and constantly go that extra way or try something new and you don't know what the result is and therefore you're anxious about it and then you get a result and it mightn't be the one you wanted, but at the end of the day, it didn't turn the lights out. So it's like, oh, well, oh, but I did learn something. I learned not to do that again. Or I learned if I just adapt that a little bit, maybe it'll work next time. I know that you're constantly with your team, always innovating, always encouraging everyone. Look at it from a different angle. What about this? What about, oh, it didn't work. Well, let's just do it. doesn't matter. Maybe it didn't work for some other reason. You know, you can't do nothing. You can't just get caught in the moment and do what we've always done. And I think maybe just reflecting on it now, maybe that is what entrepreneurs or people that live success on their own terms, maybe that's the byproduct of it, which is you've got, you're always out there. So therefore you feel like you've got to tell yourself, Hey, it's going to be okay. You know, it's not just the words, the self-talk, you'd know the importance of that. Well, do they teach you that in your training? Because you're up in that cockpit, like life and death. Do they teach you about self-talk? Because it must be so important. No, and this is why I, I don't prescribe to self-talk or positive psychology per se. I do. I believe in the intention of it. Yeah. But the way the brain seems to work, 
which is why where the feel think do loop comes from is it's actually the action and the results that comes from the thought that makes you feel better or worse about yourself. So it's no point looking in the mirror and saying you're amazing, but then don't do anything amazing. Something amazing can be as simple as sitting down and having a five minute chat with someone who is without a home on a street. That's amazing. To make that little effort is amazing because most people don't. And those little acts of amazement, those little acts of purpose, they accumulate over time. And then you start to build a sense of worth, not because of the talk, because the action that you did after the talk, they're both important, I think. Actions without intentions, you don't really get anything from that because you're just busy. And intentions without the actions is just dreaming. We're very good at kidding ourselves. We're very good at telling ourselves, <laughs> my son will kill me, but when he was like a little kid, he, he called himself Fletch the King, right? He was the king. And he's like, mate, you're like six, you haven't done anything. But great self-talk, you know, good on you, mate, to have that philosophy. But I think also you have to connect feeling, thoughts and actions purposefully. If you want to feel good, think clearly and do the right thing. This isn't a segue to that conversation, by the way, but I just find, and my kids went to a pos-sci school and they learned a lot about pos-sci, but the bit that was missing was the action around it. The bullying was still there. The meanness was still there. The non-positive behaviors it's certainly better than not having positive psychology. So any progress I think is good, but I think, yeah, you fulfill the talk. That's the difference. The action part is really important. I actually created for myself a little daily diary that I'd never done before, but through those years of the pandemic where I'd have to write my goal up the top every day, rewrite my goal, my big fat hairy goal. And then I would have to talk about, like, I'd have to write down like today I will right? Exercise for how long? You meditate, da, 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 da. Like all the actual actions that I knew that helped keep me strong and healthy and keeping on going through the pandemic. And then at the end of the day, I'd have to tick off to say that I'd done them. I don't know how I would have got through without it. And in fact, a lot of the people that I was coaching for speaking said, I want to do your little journal idea, you know? So I agree with you. It's the intentions of writing down the goal, but then the actions. And then at the end of the day, I'd tick off even simple things. Have I drunk my water today? Did I move? Did I do my meditation? And I just tick them off at the end of the day for a sense of satisfaction. And then two short sentences, right? What did I do well today? And what would I like to reflect on every day? Yeah, we're not really, you can't see it here, but on the back there, there's a uh, plasma ball, you know, those little glass balls full of energy. The more I read about the brain, the more you realize it's, that's what it is. It's just a ball of energy. And when you touch a plasma ball, and this is what, when you write down on a piece of paper, this is what you're doing, right? When you write it down on a piece of paper, it's like putting one finger on the ball of energy. And what will happen is you'll get this big neural charge, this big spike of electricity and all your brain goes, okay, well, I've got to do something. So I may as well do that. But because in the absence of that, I'm just going to go around in circles. But you put five fingers on there or five things at once, then the neural energy dances all over the place. again. I think journaling and, and I know and gratitude, you have to intentionally create somewhere for the energy to go or because you're designed to sit in a cave and not go out because you're designed to survive all the time, your natural inclination, the brain's going to sit there and what are 400 other ways I can knock it out of the cave and stay safe today? So that intention of writing it and bringing it into the consciousness, I think, allows everything else to tack on the back of it. Anyway, it's a, 
armchair psychology, but I think it seems to work for people that do it. And there must be a reason beyond doing just doing it. Yeah. Well, anybody who's interested in what you're talking about, you'll be interviewing Pauline Wen soon, and she will go into that in a lot more detail. And they're going to love that conversation. She's all over that. She's so brilliant. No, she's such a legend. And as are you, Leanne, thank you so much. What a great uh, segue. Uh, Pauline will be one of our next guests coming up soon. So if you're interested in reaching out to Leanne, whether you're an aspiring speaker and you think you've got a great story, but having trouble getting it traction, reach out to Leanne at houseofo.com. Equally, if you are looking for some inspirational, unique speakers that can sprinkle some wisdom, Leanne has multiple channels, whether it's ovations or through the House of O, the mothership, please reach out to Leanne. And LinkedIn is probably easiest. If you look down in the show notes, you'll see absolutely everything in the link below here, whether you're watching this on YouTube or the podcast. But Leanne, thank you for your generosity today and sharing your life and stories with us. It was such a wonderful insight. And again, just reinforces for me and hopefully our list is those unique traits that people have that create success on their own terms. And your generosity too, Boo. And I've got to say, I'm loving partnering with you as a speaker and with Afterburner, not just in Asia Pac, but now in the USA and soon other places in the world. It's great to partner with generous people. So thank you. Absolutely. Take care. Thanks a lot, Leanne. See you later. Well, that wraps another episode of The Few. And I'd like to thank our partners without whom this episode wouldn't be possible. Firstly, Owed Management, an organization that brings world-class speakers into your event or organization to make a profound impact on your people to deliver the results that you want. And Afterburner, real-life fighter pilots, a team of men and women who for the past 25 years have helped organizations surpass their expectations, learning the tips and tricks fighter pilots use to win 98% of the time. If you enjoyed the show, please show your support by subscribing to the podcast, The Few with Boo, or our YouTube channel. It's been an absolute pleasure sharing the stories of these remarkable people with you. I hope that helps you keep the dream alive, but more importantly, equips you with a few ideas of how to turn those dreams into reality to help you become one of the few too.